Hi, I'm Billy Glosson, lead pastor of Coram Deo Church in Morganton, North Carolina, and you're listening to the Coram Deo Podcast, a place to engage with sermons, devotionals, prayer, and everything else we're doing at Coram Deo. Thanks for listening. We're going to be getting back into the book of Mark today, uh, starting in chapter 7, verses 1 through 23. And if you are able, uh, if you could please stand for the reading of God's word. Hear the word of the Lord. Now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, "Why do you dis- why do your disciples eat? Or wh- sorry, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands?" And he said to them, "Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men." And he said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, If a man tells his father or his mother, Whatever you would have gained from me is Corban, that is, given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and many such things you do. And he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart but his stomach and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. I'm going to go ahead and pray for our lead pastor, Billy Glosson, as he leads us through this word this morning. Lord God, I, I thank you for the beautiful weather today, the, the chance to commune and sing and, and just sit and be present with the saints here. God, I just pray that as we walk through this this difficult word this morning, we hear Jesus speak to us. I pray that we would not be ones without understanding. Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts, um, make, our, make our minds and our hearts soft to what you would have us here this morning, be it challenging, be it encouraging. Lord, help us to remember the gospel in all of these words this morning. Lord, that um, because of what you did on the cross and because you raised from the dead, that we have grace in you and that we are able to, to walk through these things with, with nuance and with understanding. I pray that you would give Billy uh, clarity of mind and of, of tongue as he speaks to us this morning. I pray that... Um, Lord, that we would just have ears to hear the words that Jesus would, that the words that Jesus and the Holy Spirit would speak to our hearts this morning. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You guys can be seated. 
All right. Well, here we are back in Mark after a brief break for Easter Sunday. So over the last few weeks, we have looked at some pretty incredible accounts of Jesus's life and his ministry, right? We saw Jesus feed the 5,000 and we saw how Jesus can meet our needs and that he cares for us. Then after that, we saw how Jesus met the disciples in the storm as he walked on water. And we saw that Christ, well, he meets us in the storms of life. All of that, right, is exciting. All of that is great and welcoming and challenging and and good stuff, right? All of that is, is things that we would celebrate and get excited about. But this week we come to something that's a little bit heavier. We come to something that is challenging, right? And that is that Jesus himself is challenged. So as we look at this passage, maybe we're going to see like, okay, yeah, there's this whole interaction that happens. There's these people and they oppose Jesus. But most of us, I think we would say, well, that's not me though, right? That's not something I would do. I would never oppose Jesus, But what Mark's point is for us this morning is to say this, it could be. It could be us that are found opposing Jesus. So, Coram Deo, as we study God's word together, let's seek to have open hearts. Let's seek to have open minds that are receptive to the spirit that perhaps he is stirring us in areas where we may be opposing the spirit. We may be opposing Jesus. So we're just going to jump right in this morning. We're going to dive right into our passage and start kind of taking it apart. So let's see first the challenge, right? The challenge. Right off the bat, our text begins with Jesus being challenged, right? Verse 1, now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled. That is unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they came from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but they eat with defiled hands? Now, there's a lot that's happening in this interaction, but essentially the challenge here is in regards to the defiled hands of Jesus' disciples. This is all about washing hands before supper, right? So a lot of moms are like, listen up, kids, all right, pay attention. So that's what's happening here, right? The scribes are here as well as the Pharisees, and they're here together to challenge Jesus. Now, we, we know the scribes because we saw them back in Mark chapter 3, but here they've come back with the Pharisees. And the Pharisees, they're a religious sect that thinks very highly of themselves, right? They are very, very stringent in keeping the law. So the second thing for us to know after we see the scribes and the Pharisees is that there's this part that's in parentheses if you look at the text, And that is an editorial note that Mark puts in because, again, remember, Mark is writing to Gentiles in Rome. 
They don't have a Jewish background, so they don't know what's going on. And he's explaining and he's unpacking why this is a really big deal, which is actually really helpful for us. Because again, I would say most of us are not first century Jews. He's explaining how the Jews made a big deal, right? They made a big to-do about washing their hands. They would even wash the furniture, and they kept to what was called the tradition of the elders, So here's what is important for you and I to understand the context of our passage. And it's important that we catch this. So first thing, God had given the law through Moses, right? So if you have a Bible, if you're holding a Bible, the first five books of the Bible are the Torah. And God had given the first five books of the law, the Torah, to his people so that they would follow it and have this Mosaic law. And the Pharisees and the scribes sought to keep that tradition But they also kept what was known as the oral tradition or the oral law, the tradition of the elders. And their argument was that, hey, yeah, that's, that's God's law. But all these other laws, those are things that Moses just said. He didn't write them down, but we got to keep those too. So think about it this way. The, The law, the Torah, is law part A, and the tradition of the elders is law part B. The idea was that law part B existed to help you keep law A. What what do I mean by that? Well, let me give you an example. So let's say this is a law. You can't swim after dark, right? You shall not swim after dark. So that's the law. Can't swim when it's nighttime. The tradition of the elders would say, all right, so what everybody needs to do then is build a fence around your pool and lock it at sundown. So that way, you would keep people from breaking the law of swimming after dark. I know that's a silly example, but hopefully that helps you understand. They created extra laws so they could be extra sure that they didn't break God's big laws. Now listen, there's nothing wrong with you or I putting boundaries in our life to keep us from sinning. The problem here is that that can get out of hand. What's happening here is they're taking God's specific instruction to priests in Exodus 30. And there you see the priests, they're a specific set group of guys who serve the tent of meeting by offering sacrifices for the people. And God says to them, before you go in and offer sacrifices, I want you to ceremonially wash So that's law part A, right? That's the law for the priests. And the scribes and Pharisees look at that and they say, well, if it's good for the geese, then it's good for the gander. Let's do it all. We should go about the same ceremony every single time we eat. That is what Jesus' disciples were not doing. They were not following this law part B that the scribes and Pharisees were implementing. Now, again, before anyone gets grossed out, this isn't about them washing their hands before you know, dinner. They, they probably didn't have gross hands. This is about the ceremony that they put on this whole religious practice. Look at me and look how clean I am and holy before the Lord. It's an elaborate ceremony that the Pharisees were performing. Now, there's a third thing here that we might miss. They aren't asking Jesus out of sincere concern to correct his disciples. They're trying to step to Jesus. They're trying to challenge Jesus. That is what is happening. They're trying to corner Jesus, catch him in in a problem so that they can have a gotcha moment. 
there's a crowd, and they're trying to ridicule Jesus. So they come up, the scribes and Pharisees, and they walk up to Jesus. They see his disciples not doing what he should, and they're like, excuse me, Jesus. Couldn't help but notice your disciples don't wash their hands before they eat. They're eating with defiled hands. Now, is that because you don't know you're not supposed to, or are you just a bad teacher who didn't tell them? <laughs> and they're like nudging each other. Gotcha, Jesus. Oh, snap. They're trying to discredit Jesus in front of everyone. Like, oh, this is the rabbi you're following? He doesn't even know what he's doing. He doesn't even know what's going on. Now, at this point, the crowd is glued to the interaction. They're watching, and they, they know, like, oh, my goodness, they just, they just called Jesus out. What's he going to do? Now, we've already said it's not wrong to put boundaries in your life to keep you from stumbling, right? That's not wrong. I've counseled young, engaged couples who would say, you know what? When we're alone together, temptation is, is really prevalent. What, we're just going to take some time to not be alone together. You know, we're going to try and hang out in public as much as possible. We don't want to get caught playing house and doing things that we shouldn't be doing. That's not bad. That's good, right? That's a couple who's trying to honor God, who's trying to take precautions so they can stay out of sin. That's fine. Where it can become wrong is if that couple then looks at another couple who maybe hangs out unsupervised every now and again. If they went to that couple and said, wow, I thought you loved Jesus. You know, the girl might respond, well, I do. Oh, yeah, you're sure, right? You went to that movie alone last night. Are you sure you love him? Jesus, that is. Are you sure? Right? Coram Deo, there's a lot of things that the Bible does not speak about that we can have opinions on. How should you dress when you go to church? Should a Christian drink alcohol or abstain? What kind of movies or music do you watch and listen to? There are a lot of things that we all have personal opinions on, and that is okay. The problem is when you and I start judging other people, we start judging their spirituality, we start judging their walk with Jesus according to our personal convictions. Friends, that is called legalism. And legalism can absolutely kill a church. There's a lot of things that we can be stoked about and it's not in Scripture. When we hold our things so tight that we begin to judge other people's walk with Jesus according to our stuff, that's not great. Have you ever done that? Have you ever judged someone's walk with Jesus? Not on the things that Jesus judges, but on the things that you judge. Make no mistake... The disciples are not breaking any of the laws that God had given Moses in the Torah. They were breaking the laws that people had put in place. So how does Jesus respond? Well, let's see second, the response. Verse 6. And he, Jesus, said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. So if you're in the crowd, things are really heating up. Jesus straight up calls them hypocrites. Essentially, he tells them, Hey, you are putting on a show. Right? 
You're playing religious guys. You're not actually religious. Then he quotes Isaiah. Now listen, Isaiah was a prophet of prophets. He would just lay down the truth and be like, whatever, kill me. I don't care. I speak the word of God. That was Isaiah. And so the scribes and prophets, the scribes and the Pharisees, when they read the prophet Isaiah, man, they would picture themselves standing behind Isaiah as his hype man like, yeah, what he said. That's what they thought, right? So when Jesus shows up and is saying, no, 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 Isaiah would be talking to you because you are acting like hypocrites. This people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Jesus is saying, congrats, guys. You're making people do what you tell them to do, but you're not doing what God tells you to do. This is bitter biting sarcasm that Jesus responds with. Then Jesus, just to make sure they understand, gives them a case study, right? Verse 9, and he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you have gained from me is Corban, that is given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and many such things do you do. That's pretty self-explanatory, right? So we can just move on. Okay, I, I know you guys are actually, you're not as far off as you might think, right? Most of us have heard of this thing called the Ten Commandments, right? Heard of the Ten Commandments once or twice. Those are, those are a pretty big deal, right? The Ten Commandments. Well, if you know the Ten Commandments, you already have the root of what Jesus is getting at here. So in the Torah, we have the Ten Commandments, right? And these were like the primo, my people will do these things. And commandment number five is honor your mother and father. And here's what's fascinating about that. You don't age out of that, okay? You don't age out of that, right? Now, again, the seven-year-old is going to honor his parents different than a 15-year-old or a 50-year-old does, right? But the people of God are to honor fathers and mothers. Now, listen, if you have a teenager, you might want to print out verse 10 and put it on your fridge. Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die, right? You might want to put that on your fridge and just say, hey, you know, this is really handy to grow in our knowledge and appreciation of God's word as a family. Let's read this every morning together, right? Now, here's the thing. For ancient Israelites, right, for ancient Israelites— this was a big, big deal. In fact, for ancient Israelites and still even today in the Middle East, honoring your parents was and is a massive deal. Part of God's law in the Old Testament was if someone's son stepped too far, it could be a capital offense. It's a very serious thing. They are not messing around when it comes to kids honoring parents. Now, what time does not permit me this morning is that some of you guys have pretty jacked up parents. And honoring them is hard, and you may not know what it looks like. And you might say, listen, Billy, you don't know what they've done to me, and I don't. But let me say, we would love to talk with you and help you unpack that. Right? We set this tent up over here, not just because we were hoping people would stay there, but at the end of the gathering, we have people stationed there who, if you need prayer, if you need encouragement, they're going to be over there. 
Here's what I would encourage you, though. In a system where things are going right, parents should be loving, appreciating, and bringing up their kids, and kids should be honoring their parents for as long as they are alive. That was the law. That was law part A, right? But what's going on in our passage? What's happening here? Well, there was a situation in Numbers chapter 30 where it spoke about men and women making vows. There it says, if you make a vow, you should surely keep it. Now, that doesn't seem all that profound, right? If we're going to, if we say we're going to do something, we should do it. Now, where Jesus is challenging them and where it gets a little tricky is this word Corbin. And again, Mark puts in parentheses what this means because he wants to define it. To make something Corbin is to dedicate it to God. Right? To make something Corbin is to dedicate it to God. So, if you're an Israelite and you're struggling with mom and dad, you can't stand them, right? Maybe they're way more money than you thought they would be when they move in with you. You could go and talk to your scribe. You could get coffee with your Pharisee. And you would say, listen, man, I love God. But this whole honoring my parents thing is killing me. And they would say, well, let's talk about it. What's the issue? Well, they're so expensive. Well, you know what you could do? Make all your possessions Corbin. Dedicate all that you have to God. And when you die, all your stuff goes to the temple. But here's the beautiful thing. Before you die, you get to use all your stuff as is, but you are not allowed to support your parents anymore. You might start wondering, hey, is this legit? And they would say, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, Numbers 30. If you make a vow, you have to keep it. Okay, hold on, wait. So I say all my stuff is Corbin, right? Yep. I get to keep all my stuff. Yep. I get to use my stuff. Yeah. I don't have to support my parents anymore. Yep. And when I die, it goes to the temple. Uh Uh-huh. Where do I sign? Where do I sign? The scribes and the Pharisees took this so seriously that if you had, like, you know, at Thanksgiving dinner and maybe you had a little too much wine with dinner and you got in a fight with your parents and you stood up and you said, you know what? All that I have is Corbin. And the next morning you woke up with a clear head. You realize, man, that was really stupid. I shouldn't have said that. And you go to the scribe and you say, look, I made a mistake. You know, I, I, I spoke out of turn. I shouldn't have said that. Clearly, I want to support my parents. The scribe would say, well... There's not much you can do. God says, you made a vow, and you need to keep it. That's like getting angry in the middle of the fight, and you just get so hot-headed that you say, I'm going to kill you. Then you catch your breath, and you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I lost my temper. I shouldn't have said that. Then someone pops around the corner like, well, actually, you did say it, so you probably should. That's ridiculous, right? That's ridiculous. How does that make any sense? It doesn't, and Jesus is telling them, hey, You're taking a small thing, and you're making it a big thing. In doing so, you're avoiding what God actually commands to honor your father and mother. And what is worse is, Jesus says, they do this all the time, right? And many such things you do. They do this all the time. At the end of the day, the greatest commandment is what? That we love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, all our strength. And the second is that we love our neighbor as ourselves. That command should be our filter for understanding 
this book. Love the Lord your God. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's our filter. What is more loving for mom or dad to support them when they have no one looking after them or to say, I've made a vow, so I've got to do it, and I'm not going to support you anymore. Jesus is reminding them that God is the one who says, honor your father and mother. And these scribes and Pharisees are working against the command of God. They're taking the commands from this book, and they're picking and choosing which ones are more convenient, which ones are more beneficial for them, and they're holding those up as more important, and they're disregarding all the others. So yes, the temple would be made the financial beneficiary if people made all their stuff Corbin. As religious folks, they, they feel like, hey, this is in our corner. The problem is, God says, honor your parents. Now, here's the thing. Today, we don't have this, right? We don't have the whole Corbin thing. And a lot of our parents have gone before us, and they've provided for their own needs. Again, we live in a different cultural context here today than what we're reading. But we still can do the very same things that these scribes and Pharisees do. We do it by taking verses from this book that are more convenient and more beneficial to us. And we look not so poignantly at ones that are not. Right? Maybe you've been wronged, and then you read verses on justice, and you're like, I love this. I'm getting a tattoo. This is awesome. Maybe you've been the one who's done wrong. And you read the passage on mercy and forgiveness, and you want people to know those verses. Right? There are couples I know who, in the middle of fighting, one partner keeps doing the same wrong thing over and over and over with little appearance to try to make any change at all. And the other partner gets exasperated only to have the offending person say, hey, well, Jesus says, you got to forgive me. 77 times. And to that I say true, but he also says some other stuff. Have you ever used one verse over and against another because it's more convenient to do so? That is the same error that these guys are making. What is wild is that these two areas, right, they seem opposite, yet they are totally related. Here's what I mean. On one hand, you and I can make much of little. We could take something that we think is a huge deal to us, God's word isn't very clear on it, and make it a massive deal. But on the other hand, we can make little of much. You may be very good at being holy and saying no to all the things that could be addicting. Oh, I don't drink coffee because, you know, or other stuff. But you ignore the Great Commission. You don't speak the gospel. You don't share the hope of Jesus with others. You make little, take something little, and you make much of it. You take something huge, and you make it little. We could take something that God doesn't really care about, like what someone wears, and we can make a whole lot of fuss about it. Or we could take something that God is pretty passionate about, and we can make that little 
in other people's eyes and hold up something else in its place. So, Coram Deo, do you make much of little or little of much? Where have you gotten sidetracked because you make a massive deal over something that in the scheme of eternity is actually quite small? And where have you made something little that actually has eternal significance? The whole problem is that too much of what we care about focuses on the external. That is why Jesus is upset, because it's not the external stuff that jacks us up. It's the internal. And Jesus gives us the reason he's so intense. Verse 14. And he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the thing that comes out of a person are what defile him. So first, Jesus gets everyone's attention just to be certain that they understand that they're getting this. Right? And for them, for the Jews, these are people who have spent their entire lives avoiding certain things. This was really hard for them to get. In fact, we see this because Jesus' own disciples don't catch it. His own disciples don't even catch it at first. And so they, they pull Jesus aside. They're like, what are you talking about? What do you mean? And Jesus asks if they too are without understanding. I actually like the way the NIV says this. The NIV says, are you so dull? I love that because Jesus is basically looking at his disciples and saying, are you so dense? Verse 17, and when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach and is expelled? Thus he declared, all food's clean. Amen. Enjoy your bacon. All right. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. This is revolutionary for them, and it may be for you. What Jesus is saying is sin is not something you catch by touching something. That's the good news. The bad news is your capacity and desire to sin is already in you. Because our hearts are corrupt and wicked. In ancient Israel, the heart is the seat not just of emotion, it's the seat of will and decision-making. It's our hearts that choose to do these bad things. You didn't catch it, you want it. Now, this isn't going to make a good greeting card. This isn't something you're going to put on your coffee mug or your T-shirt. But the biblical truth is not that we are all good people who sometimes do bad things. No, we are fundamentally flawed and dead in our sin folk who sometimes give the appearance of doing something good. And Jesus wants them to see you can't avoid sin because you take it with you. That's why we as Christians get so very passionate about Jesus dying on the cross for our sins and rising from the grave for the forgiveness of those sins. Jesus, all right, he doesn't just purell everything around you. 
Okay, that's not what's happening. Jesus transforms and cleans our insides. He gives you a new heart. Yes, your heart in Christ can still do bad things. But your heart is fundamentally changed because you've gone from being separated to being indwelled with God's Spirit. And that is available for all who confess Christ as Lord and ask Him to forgive their sins. And where it gets tricky is that some of you, when you read that list of what defiles a person, you go, check, check, check. I've done too much. Satan would whisper to you, oh, Billy, he's not thinking about you. Not when he's talking about grace. Because he doesn't know what you've done. If you're sitting there thinking, I've done too much, what you need to know is Satan says pretty much the same thing to everybody, regardless of what they've done. Because Jesus teaches, regardless of what you think you've done or haven't done, you've already done so much that you need forgiveness. You may think, You're the worst of sinners here. But think of who you think the best person here is. Jesus needed to die for them as much as and no more than he does for you. We don't avoid sin and keep ourselves holy. We are sinful and he makes us holy when we acknowledge him as Lord. Friends, Jesus was the sovereign God of the universe in the flesh. He was Lord over sickness. He was Lord over creation. He is Lord over death. The question is, is he Lord over you? Are you guilty of making much over little? Or making little what is much. Today is an opportunity to change. To come to this God who loves you. To confess the ways we mess up. And to receive his wonderful, bountiful, life-giving grace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you eager and ready to receive your grace, to know your truth, to trust in and rely on you. In so many ways, Lord, we make much of little things. And we make little of huge, big, biblical things. God, forgive us for our wayward hearts, for the ways in which, Lord, we have denied the hope of the gospel, the ways in which, Lord, we have made much of ourselves. We have made much of insignificant things. Forgive us, God. Lead us back to life in you. Draw us near to you, Lord, we pray. God, we ask that you would continue to stir our hearts, compel us to obedience, make us a people who love and long to bring glory, honor, and praise to you. Help us to make much of the gospel, we pray. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the Quorum Deo podcast. You can find us on Spotify, 
Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or our website, quorumdeonc.com. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram for a bigger picture inside the life of the church. Grace and peace be with you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ.